Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Teddy Gelman. I feel like I need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work. Brandon Halvek. Their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years. Ahmed Quadri. Yankees are fun to watch, end quote. That's it. That's all I ever said. And Jake Lampert. Eat more chicken. There you go. I'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh, working for Chick-fil-A and wants to throw me some sandwiches. It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WVUD. Welcome to the cage. First, we introduce the crew. I'm Brandon Halbeck, joined today by Ahmed Quadri and Jake Lampert. Jake, you're back in the country after a two-week trip over to Israel. How was it? Uh, it was, it was, first of all, it was tiring, but besides that, it was a life-changing experience. I met incredible people, incredible camels, had incredible food. Uh, I met Eagles fans from Argentina. I met Patriots fans from Prague. Like, uh, we did were you just all... give camels a shout-out? Yeah, of course I did. My, uh, <laughs> random. A couple other shout-outs to other camels. There was Forrest Hump. Uh, my camel was um, Mark Camel from Star Wars. Gave a little shout out there. Okay, I like where this um, is going. Yeah, it was good. Um, but it was a great experience. For though, if anyone is even thinking about going to Birthright, highly recommend. It was a really great experience. Med, you got a big intramural basketball game from un- what I understand. First round by tonight. It's the second uh, round technically, so first round by first playoff game for us. So um, we've been getting to the quarterfinals. Um, or I should say semifinals each of the last uh, couple seasons. So um, this time it's it's time to go is all the way. Year? Here. I think this is the year. I have nine fingers, but Kobe did it with nine fingers. So uh, you see the pinky, what JPP does. The, like... Well, no, I have ten fingers, but the okay, nine, the, right, the tenth yeah. one is wrapped. So I'm playing with nine. Um, no, all the limbs are there. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be fun. We uh we like to do things in and around the studio, so it's gonna be exciting. A lot of basketball today. And one other exciting thing that we should definitely mention off the top is our new video series, which launched earlier this cool. week. That was cool. I saw it. Uh, Twitter got a great response on Facebook. So check those out. WVUD Sports. Jake, you're, hopefully you get in on some action, but well, it was fun. It was J- really Jake fun. was out of the country he was for out a of couple the country, of weeks. But... We ran the idea behind him before he left. Yeah. Got a little bit more of the production done, but he'll definitely see his touches on it. I can't soon. wait for some of the locations. We got some really good locations lined up and... It's quick. It's just like it's one minute. Like yeah, if you I don't want to hear any excuses. Everybody has time. Everybody <laughs> has a minute in their day to watch it. So go watch it. It's great. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's called One in One, and it is available right now on our Twitter account at WVUD Sports, on Facebook where we are backslash the Cage WVUD, and on our website sites.udel.edu backslash the Cage WVUD. And what it is is a video series called One in One, where each week. Two of us will pop up on there and give you something about the Delaware men's basketball team and something interesting about the past week or the week coming up from the Delaware women's basketball team. And we'll kind of bring it to you from different places around campus and keep it changing up a little bit. The first one we did here in our studio talking about the men who had a tough weekend, 0-2, but Ryan Daly still played well. And the women who had Nicole Anabosi go over 1,000 career points, uh, but just went 1-1 last week as we like to say. So check that out. It's available on all of our social media and on our website. We'll hopefully be bringing that to you a little bit more all throughout the spring semester up until the end of the basketball season. And we should also have next week at some point, the return of Uncaged. Season two. Uh, Me and Jake are kind of in the process of putting that together, but it's going to be a little longer than 
our regular shows, but it is the okay. season premiere. So if you have go a big few, or go home, if you have a few home. extra minutes, um, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll know some of the guests. We're planning to have a few guests on there as well. So a little bit of an extended show, but it should be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll, we may or may not recap 2017, but we're definitely going to be talking about 2018 for the most part. So it's going to be fun and it's going to be wild. And again, Uncaged is available where you get this show on the WVUD uh, on our web or on our website sites at udl.edu backslash the cage WVUD and wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. NFC and AFC Conference Championship games are in the books. We have our Super Bowl pairing. It'll be a rematch of the 2004 Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. We'll start with the AFC game. It was played first on Sunday. Jacksonville had a first-half lead, but then Tom Brady and company did what they've done so many times over the course of this Patriots dynasty, came all the way back and won this game 24-20. to Your guys' first takeaways. Uh, this was not a Patriots win. It was a Jacksonville loss. You look at the end of the first half when I don't know who decided that with 55, 56 seconds left on the clock, oh, two Blake knees. Bortles there, oh, man. you're going to give him two knees and run into there. That is a probably the biggest sign of I don't trust my quarterback. And he was playing incredible for the first half. I, I, I don't want to Blake Bortles. I don't want to skip ahead to the Eagles game, but you saw what you saw what um, uh, Nick Foles did with twenty or thirty seconds left in that half, and he got a field goal out of it. So just saying, do you need if hypothetically they put the field goal in, or even they get a touchdown there, they get the field goal that changes the entire loop of the game. Then Tom Brady doesn't get to run into the locker room saying, "All right, we're we're right there." You, it's a totally different mindset. You look towards the rest of the game. Tom Brady did his thing. They gave him too much time on the clock. Um, but the biggest takeaway that I would bring is that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be a good football team next year. They're going to be a fo- good football team regardless of who's at quarterback because that defense, like we saw, is almost good enough to single-handedly carry and beat the New England Patriots. Which I didn't think I would say in any defense would be able to do that. But that's going to be a good team we're going to see them next year. It was a good game all around. I mean, uh, you could also say, what What are the Patriots going to be like next year with the, that coaching staff? A lot of key guys leaving, uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Bill Belichick looks like he's staying put. But, um, yeah, I don't really like that whole, um, did, did this team lose this game or did this team win this game? But I think this is a really good time to use that, Jake, was I think Jacksonville lost this game. I don't know if, if Patriots, you know, deserve to win I think they did because of the the run they made there at the end but I mean Jacksonville kind of had this game 10 points going into the fourth quarter 20 to 10 so I mean it's really tricky analysis here but again one of the things was that halftime taking two knees uh you had three two timeouts I believe with 54 seconds could have easily got a field goal there or at least set yourself up for a field goal and you got Tom Brady, you know, really slinging the ball with 12 stitches in his throwing hand, which was impressive in, in his own right. And you got Gronk going down in what um, seemed to be a dirty play, I guess, by the defense of Jacksonville, but uh, did not take advantage of any opportunities. And again, a 10-point deficit or a 10-point lead, I should say, against the Patriots. It's, it's really a three-point deficit uh, when you really add it all up. Was there ever a point in this game that either of you thought that the Jacksonville Jaguars were actually going to win. Yes. Did you get to that oh, point? Yeah. Yes. You thought so? I mean, start of the fourth quarter, you're you're up ten. You, you gotta but, just you gotta just do kind of play your game. But the and they didn't play to that their is, game. you're playing Tom Brady in the Patriots, who are just gonna but figure out a way to beat you. You're going into the fourth quarter without Gronk, 
And without really, I don't care. They won yeah. the Super Bowl without Gronk. That's true. It's Tom Brady in the but fourth quarter with a manageable deficit. It seems like he's going to pull it out in a, in a meaningful game. But here's game. the thing: that defense isn't also as good as last year's. But they stepped up. They stepped up when it, they needed to. True. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know. Ten points. You're up ten points, but they kind of started running the ball. They started going really conservative yeah, with Blake they, Bortles. They, they were running really on first down almost every time. Yeah. Which. New England keyed guys, in on that and shut down the mm-hmm. running game in the second half. Which is half. great. Which is you could yeah. with Leonard Fournette, you could do that. More power. I to mean, you. it makes sense that you would. I think at some point you have to say maybe we try a play action pass to try to get a first down before we Blake just pound the ball. He because has he's playing legs. a great game. He yeah. can run. He's yeah. legs. And he was, doesn't have a bad arm. He was playing he his throw. best game of the season. Yeah. Once you lose that running threat, he's not as great on third and ten, standing mm-hmm. in the pocket when New England knows he's going to throw the ball. But on first and ten off play action, when everybody's keying in on Leonard Fournette, he was doing a great job. I think they went a little bit away from that. But just on the other side, it seems like no matter how good the defense is on the other team, Tom Brady gets into that no huddle, hurry up, four minute offense mode. The ball is out of his hands quickly, and they find a way to win. When Tom Brady threw, uh, it was midway through the third. He had an incomplete pass to Cooks down the sideline to force fourth down. It was about. Maybe six or seven minutes left in the third. That was the point where I was like, "Is are the Jaguars actually going to win this football game?" With yeah. But then after the the third quarter ended with no score from Jacksonville, and Jacksonville didn't put any points on the board. It was fifteen minutes left. The score was more than in Tom Brady's uh, arsenal. And then I, I it was not mind. It was just a matter of time when it came back. And I wanted to draw more to Brandon Cooks there. With his pass, interfe- pass interference call, air quotes around that, however you want to judge it, down the sidelines. This side is the lines, one with A.J. Bouye. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, There's a d- little bit of disparity there. Which, and they, I mean, I'll talk about that during the cage rate. Spoiler alert, I'm <laughs> raging about refs here. But that was a play that every, every analyst on face value was saying that was the turning point of this game. That was the point yeah. where the Patriots took control of it. Uh, more in-depth. We kind of pointed to the Jacksonville Jaguars not doing anything with 55 seconds left to go. Um, But that is a play that we're going to look back on over and over again and kind of say to ourselves, what if? What if? That's a possibility. Is that pass interference? Is it not? If it's not, Patriots are fourth down. Jacksonville gets the ball back. We don't know what they're going to do, but that's a great time to shave time off the clock, and we might have a totally different ballgame. So we'll talk about New England and their matchup with Philadelphia in a few moments. But to tie a bow on Jacksonville's season, Jake, you mentioned before that you think this is a team that's not going to go away. They're very young. Defensively, we know that they're probably the best defense returning. You know, By the numbers, you could say that Minnesota was the best defense in terms of the points and yardage given up. But you look at the highlight players they have in an A.J. Bouye and... Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack in the center at linebacker. Those guys all coming back, plus Blake Bortles will be back. I don't think after this playoff run you can replace him. Leonard Fournette, obviously, the heart and soul of that offense. Maybe even Allen Robinson comes back. My question to both of you guys is just kind of where does this team lie as we look toward next season as far as their place with the AFC's other contenders? Obviously, New England will be toward the top. Pittsburgh will be back with all of those weapons and then after that, there's a lot of those teams that could maybe make a spike up and challenge a team like Jacksonville, but maybe not. Is Jacksonville, should they be considered one of those favorites in the AFC as we turn toward next season? Well, you look at 
division-wide. This season, it was the NFC South was the most entertaining division. Next season, I think it's going to be Jacksonville's division. Jacksonville, we know, is capable. Tennessee just missed, really hitting a nail on the head with their offense and really doing really well. And there's a guy, Deshaun Watson, who's going to be back, who was on an yeah. incredible run. Uh, he'll be back. He'll have... I don't want to say the new and up and coming, but he'll have a DeAndre Hopkins that was probably one and of the most dominant defense. wide receiver. Great defense. If J.J. Watt, if Davion Clowney, Whitney Merciless can stay healthy, that's going to be a really great division. I still think Jacksonville can lock it down, but we might see an NFC South repeat where three teams make it to the playoffs. From there. And, I mean, don't even rule out Indianapolis. I know they don't have the same talent as those two teams, but you're going to have Andrew Luck with most likely Josh McDaniels. I was going to say a, a heck of a coach. We can hope Andrew Luck. Everyone's yeah. fingers I mean, crossed. They're not going to be 3-13, and 13, right? They, right. They're, they're going to put up a fight It'd against all of those yeah. teams. So mm-hmm. you might look at AFC South games this year and say, oh, wow, Tennessee-Indianapolis, make sure I miss that one. Or next year, there's probably not a bad game between any of those AFC South opponents provided – that they're healthy, and that's a big if. But if they are, then I, I definitely agree with that point. Yeah, I feel bad for the Titans because it was their year now. Now they're going to be chased, if not chasing them. Um, you look at the Texans now, and again, I, I agree with you, Brandon. I think the Colts are going to be good. I don't know if that's exactly what you said, but I think they'll be good. I think they'll be competitive and definitely not a 3-13 and team. And again, you're talking about the Patriots in the AFC Let's also not, you know, get too ahead uh, ahead of ourselves for the Steelers too, because we there's some things that are uncertain. What's going to happen with Le'Veon? Um, ben Roethlisberger didn't look like he was 100 percent ready to return. He did say he was going to kind of reevaluate his career. Looks like he'll come back though. But again, I think the NFC or AFC, excuse me, in general, is going to get better. And the Jacksonville Jaguars also specifically. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast and the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, the main I mean, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of players in this playoffs former team, the Philadelphia Eagles, a thirty-eight to seven shout out victory over the Minnesota Vikings that I don't think anybody saw coming. I know that I didn't. I picked the Eagles. I said it was going to be seventeen to thirteen. I think the three of us last week, Ahmed, all went low-scoring defensive game that yep. maybe the Eagles, if they keep it close, can eke out at the end, mm-hmm. and that couldn't have been further from the truth. It was. High scoring from the beginning, Nick Foles and the Eagles offense was lighting, were lighting it up, opened the offense up completely from where it's been the last couple of weeks, made the Vikings look like a pretty bad team, even though they were number one in defense and offense coming into the game. Not a lot more you can say than a dominant victory from the Philadelphia Eagles that I think solidified why they were the number one team coming into these playoffs and it shut up a lot of doubters around the league. I think everybody on this show was fair in their assessment of the Eagles and saying that their chances go down with Carson Wentz. There are some people across the media landscape that said they had no chance, and that certainly was not the case. Uh, This is a very deep team from top to bottom, and they showed that against Minnesota this weekend. Nick Foles with a 142, I believe, QBR, which is absolutely ridiculous. He had a perfect QBR at one point in this game. Um, he was balling, and again, you got to give a lot of credit though to that Eagles defense. I mean, they held a good defensive team in their own right, the Vikings, but they held them to seven points, which is very impressive. Um, Twenty-four to seven at halftime, and that's where you kind of knew that this was over. Just the way um, Foles was converting again, he was not only managing the game, but he was dictating, and he had that whole game in control. So, 
I don't know about you know your average fan, but for me as a as an Eagles fan, you kind of know that at that point it's done and the Eagles can kind of hold off there. I think my biggest play for me was seven to zero, and Chris Long gets to. Case Keenum kind of grabs his like armpit or something, hits him in the chest, the, the peck area, and doesn't get the ball. But Casey Keenum throws somewhat of a duck, and um, uh, Patterson, Patrick Robinson, Patrick Robinson, I mix those two <laughs> names. Patrick Robinson takes it to the house. It's seven to seven now. That got Case Keenum rattled, but more than that. That got Nick Foles so loose. You could see it on the sideline. He was celebrating. He came out. I think he went three for four in the next drive, and he was absolutely killing it from there. So that defense can win alone. That defense can win a championship. Now, I, I don't want to take too much away from the Eagles' defense because they played one of, the, one of the best games that we've seen for the season. But when you're a Minnesota offense that probably has enough weapons to spread out an Eagles defense like that. Not saying they're going to tear him up because the defense is good, but you have two of the most dominant wide receivers that we've seen. Adam Thielen was a wide receiver one for about six, seven weeks, and we know how talented Stephon Diggs is. And then you have Rudolph as a tight end position, two running backs. That offense, I don't know if that offense was just terrible, if that defense was amazing, or, or if it was both because Case Keenum looked bad. And like you just said, the Chris Long hit and the, uh, the underthrown interception was a really good read by the Eagles. That game is, we talk about how our players going to look back on those games. That game's going to haunt Case Keenum forever. I mean, here's the question, though. Like, is Case Keenum even good or not? I mean, he's been fine. That's the crazy thing. Like, is, is he is he good and the Eagles defense is elite? That's a fair case to make. Or is he just average, mediocre, below average? The Eagles' defense is pretty good, but he was playing a way over his head for the second half of this season. I think those are legitimate questions, and questions that now Minnesota has to face, given that all three of their quarterbacks, Keenum, Sam Bradford, and Hitty Bridgewater, are free agents this offseason. And they're all starters. There are multiple teams in the league that can use all three of them mm-hmm. in any position to be a starter. I think to answer that question, I think for purposes of this season, Case Keenum was a... We'll say we'll say uh, first top tier quarterback. We're not gonna say elite quarterback, but he was I mean, playing like a top tier quarterback. He hurt his pockets that last game though, because now you're like, well, what was all that that whole second half of that season? Right. Like he can't take me I mean, to they, a. They Super were talking Bowl. about putting Bradford in in the fourth quarter, third third and fourth quarters. So yeah. which would have been just downright and disrespectful. They, your point yeah. about the targets they have is certainly valid, and I think that part of it maybe leads me to just say the Eagles' defense was really good because. They made Adam Thielen look – he was hidden. He didn't do anything. They completely shut him down. He did not have a good game at all. Stephon Diggs just made an impact in the first quarter, really on that first drive where they scored a touchdown. Outside of that, the Eagles' secondary, which is the weakest spot of their defense, I think played a great game. But it starts with the front four, and this is going to be the key as we turn forward to the Patriots-Eagles matchup, is that front four getting consistent pressure without bringing extra guys on Case Keenum, and that's where the Chris Long play comes into effect. That's where Derek Barnett's strip sack in the red zone comes into play and the pressures that they got on Keenum on third down, and then all of a sudden you combine that with Nick Foles moving the offense efficiently, the Eagles have a huge lead, and that makes Minnesota one-dimensional. And what did we say last week? If Minnesota's one-dimensional and they can't run the football, they're not going to have a chance to win this game because Case Keenum is not Tom Brady. He's not a guy who can win you the game in and of itself, and I think that played out 
last I, Sunday. I was going tick for tack with Teddy there a little bit, but I mean, I, I mentioned I was trying to go. I was I was going running backs, and then you know we were comparing running backs and wide receivers, and then we were comparing you know we were comparing the quarterbacks themselves, and I, I think it it was tick for tack. I mean, of course they got blown out thirty eight to seven, but Eagles just dominated them in every in every facet. Ajayi Blunt had a great game. McKinnon and and um, Murray Murray did not. I mean, they they were slow. They started off in the first quarter well, but they didn't. I mean, and and again, wide receivers hidden for the Vikings and for the Eagles. I mean, Zach Ertz making big plays. Alshon Jeffrey, um, Tory Smith, Tory Smith flicker. on a flea flicker. That's a that's a just an amazing ball. I was going to say that's a, that's a heck of a ball. That's called breadbasket in there. But again. Uh, you, you know, Teddy was he was challenging me, and it, they were all valid challenges. But tick for tack, every position, Eagles were just better. Now, was this the game? And I, I don't want to sound negative, but was this the game that Alshon Jeffrey made made that contract worth something? Was this the game where he kind of proved that, like, all right, I got all the. I, I'm not saying he was useless the entire season, but was this that one game that? Because I I know up to the beginning of the playoffs, there were people still looking at not that was Alshon Jeffrey a great addition, well, the, but what's he doing? Let's take it back to when. When Wentz got hurt, you minus that um, that Cowboys game that doesn't count. You minus the Raiders game because Foles were still kind of doing what he had to do. I mean the Giants. I don't know what happened that game. I know they won big, but that doesn't matter. Also, it's the Giants. But I mean, you look at all the way up to the Rams game. I thought he earned his contract. He did struggle against the Falcons, but you know that was a game. So I'll let I'll give him that. But I, I think he earned his contract throughout at least till. Till they played the Rams in Los Angeles, that just yeah. that might just be me. No, I think he earned his contract. I think a lot of his contributions. Maybe this is a side skirting it, but I think a lot of his contributions don't show up on the stat sheet. I think he does a lot to open up the offense he takes for those the best other quarter. guys. Yeah, yeah he's he, taking the and he's, the best and he's, matchup. he's taking the best corner double. on a route. Yeah, like he, he'll, he'll take a double coverage. I mean, where was Xavier Rhodes? Right, that's what Alshon yeah. Jeffrey does. He Not counters just... Xavier Rhodes's impact on the game. And allows Nelson Aguilar to go up the middle or Torrey Smith to be able to go one-on-one and then just have the safety on that flea flicker because there's a tension going to Jeffrey. But is that why you bring a guy in like Alshon Jeffrey? I don't think that was I their initial so. game but plan. To, to but... come to your defense here, minus the Vikings game, Alshon Jeffrey did struggle for the last month. He was kind of – he was. He, I mean, he was kind but of – But I mean, so didn't the whole offense yeah. struggle? But that, with that being said, that's also true, Brandon. So, yeah, you could look at that either way. All right. We just have a quick minute here before we go to break. We're definitely going to get a lot more into this matchup next week as the game nears, and you throw on any other sports media, and you're definitely going to hear Is about it too this early game. for picks and scores? For no the picks next- and <laughs> scores, but I want to just get a quick kind of key in what initially looking at this matchup stands out to you as an important uh, difference matchup, offense, defense, one way or the other between these two teams. What sticks out as an important difference-making factor as we turn toward Super Bowl Fifty Two, I'm not even. No, I'm not going to go offense defense here. I'm going to say that the two special teams, including kicking That's and good. punting, I was going to say special teams is going to be is big because good. the Patriots need to convert on the field goals. The Patriots need to play smart on special teams because the Eagles they they have a good special teams group. They're they're a good returning group. They're a pretty savvy special teams group. And the probably the biggest task of this entire game is having the Eagles not let New England start at the forty. Not let them start at the 30. They need to pin them mm-hmm. behind the 20 or a fair catch every single drive. Because you can't give Tom Brady any extra yards. He's going to punch. Yeah, you got to give that defense more yards for the Eagles. Let them work with they. They're comfortable being on the field. A lot of teams, they're like, oh, those guys are tired. They got their hands on their hips. They've been out all game. The Eagles like that. 
That's what they want. That's where they're they're comfortable. And I, I as great as it became, as Nick Foles had, I I'm really comfortable with the Eagles defense being out there with Jenkins, uh, Chris Long, Darby. I, I'm very comfortable with those guys being out there. But for the for the Patriots, I, I'm not going to mention special teams because you mentioned that. That's obviously important. But I think whoever the running back is or whoever's in that sp- uh, position back there, whether it's James White or whoever. It's going to be very important. It feels like Tom Brady always utilizes that, whether it's a wheel route or catching out of the backfield or getting those conversions. I feel like they kill those teams and they drain them, and those are the most deflating plays. James White had, what, three touchdowns in the Super Bowl last year? Something like that yeah. can't happen. He also he had, like, ten catches. I was going to say, he was also their best receiver in that game. In that game, uh, total, he was the best receiver. So um, that running back position that Tom Brady u- utilizes so well, uh, that's kind of the X factor for the Eagles. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We're now going to talk about the women's team, though, who last week went 1-1 one and one, but has been pretty impressive so far in CAA play, to say the least, compared to where they were at a season ago. 12-6 and six overall now, 5-2 and two in the conference. They're third behind James Madison, who is 7-0, and oh, and Drexel, who is 6 and one. They split the games. They lost to Elon, who they beat previously this season. But, I mean, overall, this is a much improved women's team from where they were a season ago. And, you know, we'll talk about maybe the, the differences between then and now. But, Jake, kind of guess getting us reset here. Your thoughts? We haven't checked in with you in a little while on these, this Delaware women's team and how they've been doing. We. In the beginning of the year, literally the first show of uh, this school year, Teddy and I sat down with uh, Natasha there, and we kind of talked about how the women's basketball team was looking. And she said, uh, no one has a defined role here. We're not going to go to last year's look of your Erica Brown bringing the ball up, Hannah Jardine in the corner. We're not going to go to that look anymore. Roles can be changed. And I think that's what's made them successful in these games. But I also think that... The defined roles of your scorers, your Nicole Anabosis, and your ball handles, whether it's Abby Gonzalez, whether it's Bailey Carter, or any of like the new, the first-year players, this whole new-look team, and I think the point that no one really has a defined role, they can do what they want to do on the court, is really working for them, and we've seen it work for them as they're third in the CAA right now. Let's not push the lead off any longer. The big matchup this weekend, they do play Northeastern tomorrow, but... The big matchup this weekend is Sunday against UNCW. Why, you might ask, Tina Martin will be returning to the Bob Carpenter Center for the first time since she announced her quote-unquote retirement this past spring. Martin is now an assistant coach with the Seahawks under first-year head coach Karen Barefoot there. Delaware previously beat UNCW last weekend on the road 82-49, to so it's not Martin's first time facing her former team but it'll be her first time back in the Bob Carpenter Center before the Delaware Blue Hen faithful. What do you guys think the reaction and uh, ovation, if you will, will be for Martin when she first comes back into the Bob? I love how the the notes say video tribute. Do we, <laughs> we don't have a jumbotron? What you, We're going to have the, a bunch of people go out with like, their iPhones. <laughs> yeah, like what's the around. video tribute? But again, I, I don't. This is a this is going to be a good one for me too. Um, I will definitely be at the game. I want to see. Um, what that crowd reaction is like, and I just enjoy watching basketball. But this is interesting. You look back and you see what she's done for this for this school or for this basketball team, and they've been, I guess you could say, a steady, you know, Final Four team in the CAA. And 
and they've been successful and they've been competitive. I know a lot of that you got to give a lot of credit credit if we're playing the video tribute. Elena <laughs> Deladon better be in that video tribute because you know I don't think there's she, a Delaware women's basketball <laughs> highlight without Elena. Deladon. Right, and 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 again, I, you have to give her a lot of credit, and and you got to give Tina Martin a lot of credit just the way she handled those few years. That's important to um, looking back on her career. She got you know a. a a individual to the WNBA and and she's you know a star there whether you want to give her credit or not she was part of that so again I'm not a Tina Martin hater um, I think she should deserve somewhat of an ovation I don't think it's like the NBA where like the first two years you get booed and then the third year they come around they're like yeah well he's out he was an alright guy so we'll give him an ovation but I think she should get um somewhat of a standing ovation it won't be a sellout so whoever's there should stand and um me personally i don't know if i'll stand but i'll, I'll give her a hand because i enjoyed um my first i should say two to three years here at uh university of delaware watching women's basketball under the tina martin regime you look at tina martin's accomplishments her accolades for delaware it's a pretty long list she's one of the most successful delaware coaches leads the the win column for men's and women's basketball when she's getting to the Bob Carpenter Center, you're gonna she's gonna get her cheers, she's gonna get her applause, definitely get a nice warm welcome. But right when that welcoming stops, everyone's like, "All right, Tina Martin's here, let's beat her, get her off the court." One hundred percent. It's one hundred percent. They want to blow them out by thirty. Yeah. Oh, there's gonna be one hundred percent. Is there a, is there a different dynamic though? In that she's the assistant coach and not the head coach. She she you know, she's gonna be not, the she's fifth be string down. coach on the sidelines. You don't think so? Just carrying the clipboard. Around. If she's on the floor, she's she, she's gonna she's part of it. She's because she's it, yeah. from the reports that we saw last spring, a big part of why Tina Martin is not with this team is because of displeasure that was voiced from the players themselves. We don't know exactly who or what was said. But the overall theme of what's been reported is that Raywalk and company listened to what the players had to say at the end of the season or even within the season, and they were not favorable toward Tina Martin and her maybe brash style at times, and therefore Delaware decided to make a move, which is in line with what's gone on here over the past 18 months in a lot of different head coaches across various different sports being removed. Do you think that there's any sort of animosity maybe that's too strong of a word but that's an how awkward do you, how do you yeah, how do you think the players will handle this being it's the first time at the Bob Carpenter Center uh, that they'll be seeing their former head coach but kind of in that same setting where they were seasons ago yeah no i was just joking and saying that'd be an awkward uh, handshake line but it's one of those things like you got to check your ego at the door you're what are these girls 18 19 20 I, you're not a professional here you know you see her, give her a handshake, say thanks, and you keep it moving. I don't think that there needs to be a storyline coming into this game. I know oh, we're, we're talking we're about it. I, right I, we're talking about it, which is fine. <laughs> you know, that's our job is to talk sports, and I get that. <laughs> but if you're if you're an individual basketball player here, you you definitely got to check your egos at the door. You're not a professional. Um, you're a collegiate athlete um, to a school you chose to come to to a coach you you know agreed to coexist with and that's just part of the deal you get again i think you keep it moving here um i I know we're not really making a storyline we're mostly doing analytics and you know story time or just our thoughts and opinions but it's really not a storyline and it it shouldn't be any animosity and i know you were just kind of throwing words out there but again we don't know what happened in that locker room or why exactly she left but it's done and it's over with now and i think both teams are are on their way now 
you have all first, mostly first year coaches on the sidelines. You have most of the key players besides Nicole and Obosi have had zero or one season under Tina Martin. That's a good point. You're going to have your, thanks for coming, oh my gosh, Tina Martin, welcome back, that good stuff. But a lot of these players and these coaching staffs don't have a direct connection to Tina Martin or a serious bond with Tina Martin. If this was, if this team was all stocked with senior superstars and that's the starting five, it's going to be all seniors, it's a different story. They've worked for Tina Martin for years, but these yeah. are players who there's a couple haven't players, really had time. There's like four players who know her from like a year. Like it's literally one year. Like get over yourself. It's so not that you're, you're going to have your th- thanks. You're going to have everything. But oh. I think the the biggest factor here is Nicole Anbosi, who has had her years with Tina Martin. That's going to be the one player, if any, that's going to have a kind of weigh the scale, Ooh, am I really happy Tina Martin's here, or do I really yeah. want to beat Tina Martin? Everyone else is going to be like, all right, it's a basketball game, yep. let's play Let's play hard because Tina Martin's here, we want to show her we're still good, but besides that, there's really no personal vendettas. What do you think the biggest changes are in the way that Natasha Adair has handled this team so far this season, and the way that Tina Martin ran the team in seasons past? Let them play. Yeah, just I was, let him I was play. just going to say, it's, a, it's, it's not, a looser style. It's not like rocket science, just let them play, and she's been letting them play. Um, you saw the demeanor of Tina Martin, and I'm not going to say it's not something I would have done. It's it's just her style, and this is a different style. And the girls are, again, I don't personally know any of these girls, but they're playing more loose. They're playing more free, more spread out. And Coach Adair's letting them play. It's simple as that. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Down in Mobile, Alabama, we have the Senior Bowl going on where the top college seniors go and it's a north versus south practices and the game figure into where these guys could be drafted when we get to the NFL draft in April. So all of the top guys across the country get invited to this all-star game where they work out in front of NFL coaches all throughout the week leading up to a game this weekend. And a notable addition to that list came earlier this week when Bilal Nichols, the Blue Hens defensive lineman, was invited to the Senior Bowl. Kind of last minute, he was playing in the East-West Shrine game last week, which is kind of the lower-tier senior playoff, or excuse me, all-star game, if you will. So it's a step below the Senior Bowl. But because he had a forced fumble in that game and got some good looks at the Shrine game, he got a big invite to the Senior Bowl, which it doesn't mean he's going to be drafted, but it means that there are a lot more eyeballs on him now, and it's a chance for Nichols to put himself into that picture and put himself— because you know a lot of these coaches haven't seen him play, but they're going to get to see him play this week. Yeah, this game could potentially— uh make his wallet bigger. I mean, he's got an opportunity here. The guys in NFL Network are really talking him up. So he has some opportunity to do something here. But uh, again, yeah, he's got eyes on him. And and Brandon, I'll even take it one step further than what you said. I know you didn't really guarantee a draft draft pick here, but I I think he'll go – in the first six rounds, I think I think he's a draft pick. I think he's an NFL caliber caliber player. Um, a little biased because of the three hundred two roots, but it, it would always it would be great to see another blue hen make it to the league, and I think deservingly so. Below, for for Bilal Nichols, he's in a position that warrants a lot of looks from a lot of teams because that's a position that you can never have too many of. That you can never get ready to rotate an old one out and put in a new one. That's just, it's a it's a very um 
hot seat kind of position. So I think it's great that he has the eyes on him, and I'll I'll agree that I think he's a, a, a draft caliber player solely because of the validity of the position. Uh, but regardless, it's just great for him to get there, have eyes on him. Even if he doesn't get drafted this year, that doesn't mean that's the end of his football career. If he would like to continue, he can still try to, we've seen walk-ons and other teams do things successfully, and we've seen later drafts people. Do Reg- he has a good opportunity regardless to be in a uniform next year, in an NFL uniform. To your point, Jake, you look at what the Eagles are doing right now with their defensive line. They have two full defensive lines that they'll rotate in and out. So there are a lot of opportunities at that position compared to, say, a quarterback or a running back, where typically you're only going to have one on the field. Earlier this fall, I wrote a profile of Nichols, which you can find at udreview.com. Little little plug there. But within that, I spoke at length with his high school football coach at Hodgson. So, Matt, you mentioned the 302 roots there. Mm-hmm. His coach you know, described a lot about how he thinks he has good NFL prospects because he can play multiple positions on the defensive line. This past year, he was playing in the 3-4. He was playing nose tackle. His counting stats, his tackles, his sacks, those sort of things were down, but he was getting a lot of the attention, right? He's getting double teams in the middle, which are freeing up the guys around the outside, the Blaine Woodsons, the Colby Readers, those guys to make plays. Before that, under Dave Brock, he played in a 4-3, where he was playing defensive tackle but playing one less gap which allowed him to make some more plays. But he can play in either system at all the different spots along that line. Sometimes they even pushed him out to defensive end, which gives him that versatility to maybe catch on as a backup defensive lineman for one of these teams that's transitioning from one system to another, or a team that just needs extra depth at that position. And he can be the last defensive lineman to make the team because he can play special teams, and then he can slide between different positions if they're injuries. It's a position that allows him to actually really have a chance at this and to maybe even have a long career in the league. And it would be pretty cool to see not only the Delaware connection, but Ahmed, like you mentioned, that that Hodgson 302 roots. Uh, he's got he's got a chance. Absolutely. He's a tough guy, and I, I think he'll make it. And along with him, I think uh, we'll have a, a fun time seeing who else can try and attempt to make it. I know some of the guys have told me they will be attempting an NFL career. I don't know, I don't know who and we'll, we'll see at the Combine or personal tryouts or we know this is the, kind of the time in the offseason to really uh, shoot your shot at the NFL. So we'll be seeing not only Bilal Nichols, but hopefully some other guys joining him in the league. Yeah, and Delaware will probably have a pro day mm-hmm. in March or April where these guys will get those measurables if they don't go to the combine. Nichols is probably the only guy who would get I would a assume combine he's the invite. only one that would get a combine invite. Yeah. yeah, but maybe we'll see some other guys get looks. And, you know, again, another Eagles example, Corey Clement, undrafted guy. Mm-hmm. He stuck on this team and you know, made an impact this year as their third down back. So even if you're not drafted, there's a chance that you can stick on, get on a practice squad, that sort of thing, and have a chance at the league. Before we go to break, one other story we wanted to bring up, which was a FCS way too early top 10 favorites for 2000. 18. And within this list, maybe to our surprise, maybe not, we'll get our reactions in a moment, but the Blue Hens were picked sixth on this list. They were the second CAA team, only behind James Madison, who was picked second. At the top of the list was North Dakota State, who won the FCS championship this past year over James Madison. But what do you guys think about the Blue Hens being picked sixth, not in the CAA, but in an early FCS top 10 ranking? A lot to be decided until then, but what do you guys think here in January of the Blue Hens 6th 
as an FBS contender. Yeah, I saw FCS the list. contender. I saw the list. Surprising. Um, does this mean that we're second now in the CAA by default? It's assuming that the 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 Blue Hens should be second now in the CAA. But again, high ceiling, big expectations moving forward. New coach and and he already had a full year, but really, I guess a full year of a quarterback and. Uh, a full year of seeing how the system already works. A lot of things to do, a lot of moving parts. So you see the logistics. But I think if they can get some steady um, quarterback play, some steady wide receiver play, we saw you know, Jamie Jarman emerge late. We'll see a, se- a whole season of him. So you get a whole season of, of your players and of what you exactly want to do. Let's see what the Blue Hens can do. Uh, again, I think top 10 is uh, is very healthy, very uh, favorable. Uh, maybe a little too generous, but we'll we'll see what happens. I think the Blue Hens, though, uh, can maybe work their way into a top ten. But let's let's eye the playoffs first before we get uh, caught up in in uh, number six or whatever the numbers are. I think it's a great heat check because if it turns out that the Blue Hens do not uh, fit that number six quota, it can just be looked at as an overshoot. But if they actually make it work, this would be a great. Uh, fire under them that says we're not they projected us at number six way too early let's make that number six count let's make that number six real and we saw the sparks that they can get it make it and get it done like we said we held jmu to their lowest point total we played well against virginia tech stony brook richmond game really good football games the Towson loss was almost the securing win of the season i think it's a good thing for the blue hens team i don't know how accurate it is in my perspective but i think Mm -hmm. it's a great thing for the team Last week, we talked about Darius Wade, the transfer from Boston College, who played quarterback here at Middletown before he went to BC for his undergrad, now coming here for a transfer year. Jake, we didn't get your take in on this. Obviously, none of us know a lot about his merits as a quarterback. He hasn't played much at the collegiate level, but... From the conceptual standpoint of bringing in a transfer quarterback to compete with what's currently here, what do you think of the move from Rocco and the Blue Hens? The quarterback position is wide open. I don't think it's a, there's a definite, even regardless of who's announced as the quarterback position, I think it's wide open because we've seen Joe Walker come in as the, the wildcat back. We've seen Caruso sit in the pocket and flex out wide. And no shortage receiver. either. Yeah, there's, there's places to go, matchups to work with. I think it's great to have another look, another person in there. I think that Rocco's smart enough to realize who is best for this team regardless. You're probably going to see Joe Walker anyway, regardless of where it ends up or Caruso where it ends up, how it works. But I think it's just good to get another look in. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Cleveland had a, quote, emotional meeting earlier this week where players voiced their displeasure for Kevin Love leaving last Saturday's game and then missing the ensuing practice on Sunday he said he was sick. This is all according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. It seems that every year we have a players-only meeting or some sort of meeting with the Cleveland Cavaliers where they try to sort out all of this drama that is on or off the court. But it seems to most NBA observers and to me personally that this is a little bit different, that there is actually some cause for concern with this team that right now is third in the Eastern Conference. It's one of the worst-ranked teams defensively in the NBA, and it could be reasonable to say that there's not a whole lot of help coming. IT is back, but he has not been to his level that he was last year. Jay Crowder, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, all underachieving this season. Obviously, Kyrie Irving traded before the year. 
Is there a legitimate cause for concern if you're Cleveland that one, you won't make it to the NBA Finals, and then two, that this is it, that beyond this season, you don't have another championship run for the foreseeable future? I have no doubt about the NBA Finals. I I have no worry about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they're going to be playing the Boston Celtics, and we're going to see how that one goes. I think. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, uh, no. Still, I still have no doubt about. No, but you said you have no doubt about the NBA Finals that they'll be playing the Boston Celtics. No, no, no. You like, think they're going like to they're make it to the, the NBA, NBA Finals? finals they're going to be Boston against the Boston Celtics. Without a doubt, they're going to be. You the think NBA they'll finals. be Boston without a doubt? I no, I don't want to say without a doubt. First of all, That's I think actually we, very surprising I, to me. I, no, I'm not going to say without a doubt because first of all, we just talked about a huge X factor named mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward. If he's back, we'll see how that goes. But probably I'm not. not. Say, Let's say he's not. I'm not going to say without yeah, a doubt. I'll say yeah. he's not. But it's, it's, I still it's, think they can beat him without Hayward. It's hard to look at playoff LeBron James and say that he can't win any game he can. That's a good point. So that's why I'm saying they're they're going to make it to the playoffs. There's well, yeah, un- they're unless gonna... unless there is a drastic change in scenery that we miss here. Yeah. They're going to make it to the playoffs. And once they make it to the playoffs, you get playoff LeBron James and once you get playoff LeBron James, you get Cleveland winning a lot of games. I have no doubt about actual records and basketball relationship-wise. I see a couple, like you said, this is kind of the first one that you look at and you say, this can be an actual issue because as it all, it's coming out. We see are, it every year, but this year it they're, feels they're, like. They talk about Kevin Love. They say he left a, left a game with an injury that maybe they didn't think was justified. That's a big player to go after. That's a, that's your, Yeah, he's the second best player on the team. That's your that's your big three at the time. He He's mm-hmm. there. He's huge contract. And they announced that they're moving him to the four in the starting lineup. He's an all-star. Thank goodness. Yeah. He should be playing power forward. He's That's a huge person to go at. And that's kind of a huge flag that raised that, one, the coaching staff can't handle it themselves. And, two, the players are pointing finger. Uh, pointing fi- they are pointing fingers. Yeah, they had a meeting, at, and they said, this guy is like, not right right now. They're pointing us. fingers at one of their top players. Not saying that skill makes you invulnerable, but you need to look at who you're pointing at and say, what are you doing? Trade deadline is February 8th. I think I personally think he's gone. What do you guys think? Well, here's the question. Is there a trade that Cleveland can make that improves these chances that we're talking about? Not only to make it to the finals, but is there a trade that they can make that actually puts them in a conversation with Golden State to be NBA champs? What can... For comparison purposes, you have Jay Crowder and Kevin Love, two players that are fairly similar play style, not necessarily skill level. Except Jay Crowder's bad and Kevin right. Love's good right now right. Fair, this season. Similar play style, not skill level. Yeah, Jay Crowder's actually better defender. One, one of the better defenders and one of the better off-ball players that the mm-hmm. Cleveland Cavaliers have. But nowhere near offensively. But yeah, but he's not, a, he's not a Kevin Love in scoring ability. If they can get rid of Love, they'll... Hopefully, put Crowder where Love is right now. That'll be it. But well, can, what are they? What are you going to get for Kevin Love? Right? You're going to trade? Who are you going to trade him for? That's going to make you better. You can send him to a semi-contender team. I mean, you're going to trade him to Charlotte Indiana, for Marvin Williams, maybe. But what are you going to get back? George Hill's name has been surfacing. Yeah, but they're not going to give away Kevin Love for George Hill. Yeah, they're going to get. They're going to get Hill with picks. They'll have if they get George Hill out of the eligible. Backcourts, they will have uh-huh. the number one and number four worst defenders in the backcourt with Isaiah Thomas and George Hill. And Derrick Rose is also terrible if you want to play him. <laughs> right, I'm just saying, yeah. like, if you look around to hear your yeah. other options are, some people will say, well, what about Derrick mm-hmm. Rose? 
he just took a sabbatical from playing basketball for two months. I don't I think, think you want to rely Smith on him. Take the ball more. I, uh, Dr. Smith. He's, he's been playing. Poor, he's been he's playing been terrible poor, this yeah. season. For, he had for the first maybe ten or fifteen games, he was on fire, and then yeah, he now it's down. Now it's January, and he's old. And I he's mean, not playing well. I know, we understand that he's inconsistent, but this is—he's riding a wave of inconsistency right now. That's at an all-time low. And Channing Fry, I think, honorable mention. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Iman Shumpert also on the block. But my thing right now is like you trade—you might trade Channing Fry or Iman Shumpert plus a pick for somebody, right? You might get George Hill. You might yeah. get Marco Bellinelli from Atlanta or Dwayne Dedman, and that might make you marginally better. But unless you completely overhaul your roster. And go for a DeAndre Jordan or a Lou Williams, you're not going to see a significant enough change that changes my perception of where this team is at. And even if they get, let's say they get DeAndre Jordan somehow, that still doesn't put them close to me to Golden State. I mean, he's not a good matchup for Golden State. So they're in a tough situation where maybe the best thing they can do right now is just stay where they are and wait for LeBron James to show up because at some point you do still have the best player in the world that can win you playoff series, but, I mean, it's a tough situation. Uh, I would even say at this point Tristan Thompson, I would be itching to move more than Kevin Love. I mean, But then who wants Tristan Thompson? That's also true. I don't want and him. And he's got a hefty contract to also mention. Yeah. Tristan Thompson's great with a about a two-foot circle around him. Yeah. Anywhere in that two-foot circle – He's right. one of the best people, so, but uh, moving, he's not. Like like Brandon said, this team does not need um, pieces or or one trade. This team needs an overhaul, and that's not going to happen this year. So, y- you guys better be betting on LeBron come playoff time because right now they look like a they look like an Eastern Conference out. For we talked we talked about this in the NFL. Patriots had a really rough four games, and then we're all like, all right, what has to change for the Patriots? What has to change? And then we all kind of stepped back and said, it's the New England. This Patriots. is different we'll to see me them though. But on, on we're, ta- a ba- we're on talking a about level. we're talking about one player with a team that's the oldest in the NBA and a defense that is very very bad. We talked about New England's defense being bad because they lost one game to Kansas City. This defense over the course of two three months now has been the one of the worst in the NBA. But I'm bringing the parallel to that we're talking about making moves and all that stuff. But I think we all can agree that, and we've said it before, that once the playoff time hits. It's going to be like nothing ever even happened on the court for this team. Off the court, we'll, we'll have our, our their their issues. But on the court, you're going to see playoff LeBron James. You're going to see Dwayne Wade heighten his ability. That's not going to last basketball. forever, though. I just want to let you know. It's no, not going to last forever. LeBron James is going to have to yeah. stop somewhere. And I think we should look into but... next year, too. Yeah, I mean, we we could send, spend the rest of the show talking about where LeBron's going to go after sure. this year. But that's definitely another thing to keep an eye on as this all unfolds is that LeBron's not committed to being there. So if they make a big splash or if they don't make a big splash, how does that affect where what he might do in the offseason and maybe where are those landing spots for him? Something that is maybe more immediate right now, though, is over in the Western Conference where Kawhi Leonard was disgruntled earlier this week with the way that his recovery has been going and a little bit frustrated with the Spurs health staff and kind of the Spurs management as a whole. He's only played nine games this year. He just came back from an injury, and then now he's back out indefinitely with a quad. I think this might be a little bit overblown, but I'll present the question this way. Is it actually possible that Kawhi and the Spurs, who are number three in the Western Conference right now, could part ways? Jake is nodding his head viciously. I'm preparing for hot take number two. What do you got, Jake? So I was gonna. I was saying no up to the point when Greg Popovich decided that he's going to bench Tony Parker. Benching Tony Parker, 
because Tony Parker wasn't playing elite basketball, but Tony Parker was your your rock on the court. He was con- he's consistent. He's smart. He knows the game. When you bench Tony Parker, I don't even know who they brought in to put in that. Dejounte Murray. You are prepping. You're getting new looks. Getting new looks for the team. You don't do that if you're just waiting for Kawhi Leonard to come back. If you're waiting to, for Kawhi Leonard to come back, you just let Tony Parker play and then get the rotation in normally. But once you sit Tony Parker, once they decided that now Tony Parker's coming off the bench, that kind of shows that instead of just getting a few different looks waiting for Kawhi to come back, we're getting a whole different team waiting for to, for Kawhi to come back. But I, so, so you're saying that by benching Tony Parker, they're signaling that they're prepared to let Kawhi go. I think by benching Tony Parker, they're preparing themselves. I think they're trying to the win case. basketball games today. I, mean, I think they are too, and I think that's where his frustration that's lies. Thirty-two and eighteen, and third in the Western Conference, even without Kawhi and Dejounte Murray, they feel gives them a better chance to win. They wouldn't. When you look at the the Spurs team, they have their their offensive threat, give or take, will be Lamarcus Aldridge. He's there, and their he defensive. Is. He's threat. an All Star. Yeah. He's he's their he's player, averaging over twenty points. When Kawhi Leonard's on the court, they're together. They are they're not they're the tandem. They're a very good two person game. When you take Kawhi Leonard out for injury, it's LaMarcus Aldridge. You have to keep somebody else in there that can still play the game. Not saying that whoever they subbed in for Tony Parker, that you need to put somebody in that position that knows the game, that's a consistent player. That's why if they're just waiting for Kawhi to come back and they're going to keep him, that's why I would assume that they would keep Tony Parker in because he can run the game. They're prepping some new looks and new arrangements because like I don't could, think they're going to get rid of Could it be possible him. that they're prepping these younger players because Tony Parker might not have much basketball left in him? It's also a fair look, but we've seen both Manager Nobly and Tony Parker and Dirk and Vince Carter that age is just a number. He's, they're still Tony playing Parker good definitely basketball. At the top of the list, when it t- comes to those older guys, you can't really compare them to Vince. But with that also being said, the Spurs' second unit beat the Cavaliers' first unit couple nights ago. I mean, I think that's a fair statement to make. The Spurs are a deep team and I mean I'll even throw in a hot take here. I I, I could definitely see LeBron signing with the San Antonio Spurs next year. I that could definitely would be see that happening. Blockbuster deal of all blockbuster deals. I mean again I mentioned this earlier. What's one of Kawhi's frustrations is not just the health and medical part. I think that whole the treatment of that is one of the reasons, but the Spurs, like you said, Brandon, they want to win now and they haven't been able to attract anyone. I mean Lamarcus, right? They didn't get Chris Paul. That was a big, get, yeah. rumor. This I mean, Lamarcus Aldridge is is cool, but he's not like that attractive as a free agent. You know what I mean? So I could be completely wrong, but they want some big guy. I could definitely see LeBron going to the Spurs. Let's go rapid fire here on a quick other headlines as we wrap up our NBA segment. Jason Kidd earlier this week fired in Milwaukee, according to ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. Giannis tried to save Kidd's job. He's out. Their assist, associate head coach now the interim until the offseason. Ahmed, your reaction to Jason Kidd out in Milwaukee, the Bucks just on the cusp of the playoff picture in the East. Jason Kidd, great player, okay coach. Um, not too not too upset with the move. Damian Lillard requested a private meeting to discuss the direction of the Blazers franchise with owner Paul Allen. A lot of the NBA's been talking about this Damian Lillard versus CJ McCollum. Can they coexist? Are they too redundant? Jake, do you believe that when we sit here next year, Dame Lillard and CJ will both still be on the Trailblazers? When it boils down to a Damian Lillard, Lillard, yeah, Damian Lillard has the floor, he's in the driver's seat, 
he will decide what he wants to do, and in turn, the Blazers will respond with that. Dennis Smith Jr. thought Dirk <laughs> Nowitzki's first name was, quote, Dirt, as he was growing up and watching the NBA. Ahmed, your thoughts? Dirk Nowitzki, one of the seven players in the 30,000-point club with LeBron joining them recently. One of the greatest players of all time. Put some respect on his name. Come on now. I'll give you this one, Jake. Salah Mejri? Salah Mejri. Thank you. Tunisian. He was ejected (laughs) in the Mavericks game, and Kelly Oubre waved goodbye. Then his own coach, Rick Carlisle, said some words we can't say on the air. You have two blanking points. Get the blank out of here. (laughs) Jake, your thoughts? (laughs) You You argue a call. You get ejected. And as you're walking off the court, your coach turns to you and says, you have two points. What are you doing? But the highlight of that, <laughs> they was, were oh, they was, were winning. Was Kelly Oubre, who was not even involved in the play in or in the argument, just turns and waves goodbye in the most Kelly Oubre supreme wearing leggings player you can ever imagine. <laughs> and he just walks walks away. I just love it. I love the energy. That game was a, a good game it to watch like up to then. It wasn't like It was actually like a nice like wave goodbye. Kelly like, Oubre for social media president of the NBA. You I'll heard it, it first.